listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. All right. Welcome to the Inclusive AF podcast. This this is Katie Van Horn, and I am not joined by my my amazing co-host today, um, but I do have a really awesome guest, and so um, very very excited to have this conversation and to, to share it with you all. Um, so I am going to just turn it over immediately, and Shai would love for you to introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are and what you're what you are doing. Sure. Thank you so much. It is so nice to meet you, Katie, and I'm super excited to be here with you um, to introduce myself. My name is Shai, and I am currently the head of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging at NerdWallet. For those of you that don't know, NerdWallet is an awesome company, and of course, I'm biased. Um, that is all about <laughs> empowering folks to make sound financial decisions. So if you're looking to be more financially literate, and it's interesting, prior to joining NerdWallet, I thought I was financially literate. And as I'm learning more and as I am getting more embedded in the organization, I'm like, man, there was so much that I didn't know. So I highly encourage everyone to download the app, view our content, um, because even if you think you are financially literate, there's always um, stuff to learn. And that's what we are essentially in the business to do. I am born and raised in Los Angeles, California. I always joke that every time I try to leave, an opportunity presented itself that just <laughs> signal to me that this is where I'm supposed to be and it's not a bad place to be, right? For the most part, we get great weather, very diverse. People are cool, regardless of what you hear out there. We're probably some of the best people out there. Again, another bias. And as a DI person, I'm like, I should probably chill on the biases. <laughs> Um, I have pretty much been doing DEI or an intersection of learning and development, diversity and inclusion, and what I call talent strategy and culture and engagement for the last six or seven years, almost seven years. Um, and essentially for me as someone that is very passionate about social justice, um, as I started to make my mark in the world, I really wanted to impact this space in a very unique way. And for me, that calling came through the organization. We spend most of our time at work, right? Um, and a lot of, you know, who we are and the quality of life that we live whether we believe it or not, or whether we realize it or not, is associated with, you know, the work that we do in the workspaces that we're in. And so um, for me, I felt like my advocacy in this space um, belonged in the workplace. And so I am very passionate about helping organizations understand that people are your number one asset. You can have the greatest product in the world. And if you don't have an engaged workforce that feels that sense of belonging, um, that really feels empowered to do their best work, not only do you maximize, you run the risk of not maximizing your success as an organization, you leave a lot of jar of hearts, right? And I'm sure we're going to dive deeper um, in this conversation. And I can share, you know, endless stories, not unique to my current environment. And I'll try to leave the companies that I've worked for out of the conversation. <laughs> However, I'm happy to kind of share, you know, how I've been able to impact the space and how I really call all professionals, regardless if you're a manager or not, to really embody this work. Fun facts about me is I love karaoke. Um, I used to be on a competitive karaoke team. Shout out to LAK. Um, had to leave for reasons of just getting more busy with work and of course COVID and such, but definitely looking to get back into it. And I'm just someone, again, that's just passionate about giving back to my community, um, specifically in you know, South Los Angeles, where I'm from. Awesome. Uh, what is your go-to karaoke song? Missy we'll start off with the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Missy Elliott, get your freak on. Like, oh. I had to learn it for a competition, and I mastered it. And so now it's like every time I go karaoke, I have to start with that. It's a, it's a hype. It's a crowd starter, and it's yes. a go-to. <laughs> I love it. So, we, uh, so Jackie and I and a few of our friends, I don't know if you've heard of the Work Human Conference, but we'll be at mm -hmm. the Work Human Conference. And Last year, a few folks did get into the karaoke competition. If you want, I think it was just karaoke, maybe not a competition. Jackie took it as a competition, and, and I love it. it. So, uh, so uh, we'll we'll need to do some sort of karaoke party at some point in the future, so we can test out everyone's uh, skills. Let's do um, it. I'm with it, like an inclusive AF karaoke party. That sounds yes, good. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Um, okay, so I want to actually I want to start off with your your motto. Um, so, you know, one of the things that, you know, we talk about on in the inclusive AF podcast is just the 
we're having these conversations because we want other folks to learn, but mm -hmm. it's also, we know that we don't know all the things. And so, you know, having guests like yourself on to share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about kind of what, what motivates you, what gets you excited. And I, I loved your motto, uh, your motto. So I'm going to read it, yeah. live, learn, teach, pay it forward and enjoy every moment. Like it is the last. So uh, say you know, like, how did you come up with that? Where, you yeah. know, where, where did you find that? What, what, yeah. what motivates you? Yeah. Yeah. Great, great question. I appreciate you calling that out. Um, for me, that model really was born out of just my years of experience, right? Like um, to give a little bit more about my background, I did not start my career in this space. I started my career in a completely different capacity. Um, I worked in the biotech industry for quite some time coming out of undergraduate, you know, my undergraduate program which was in biology, which is many moons ago, um, I thought that my path was going to be to work for uh, a clinical research institute, find the career to some disease, um, win my Pulitzer Prize, and then retire by the time I was 35. Definitely didn't happen. Nowhere near. <laughs> um, but at some point on my journey, I decided to make the pivot, right? And the reason why I wanted to make the pivot was I just happened to work for organizations where I was one of three, maybe one of two women of color. Um, and although those organizations were great, kind of what they do from a product perspective, when it really came to enabling and empowering talent, and when it really came to empowering you know, their diverse talent, they just fell short, right? And I didn't necessarily have the best experiences um, at those organizations. And so as I decided to completely pivot in this direction, which in all honesty, at the time of the pivot, I didn't really know what that was going to look like, or even that I was going to be here, um, I struggled. I struggled with it. I struggled with, you know, pretty much feeling like I was going to do one thing and that thing was not energizing me in the way that I thought it was going to. And now I need to figure out what was next for me. And so as I did all the soul searching and the networking and chatting with people, what really got me over the hump was understanding that life is all about experiences, right? We can throw ourselves into work or not throw ourselves into work. We can throw ourselves into family or not throw ourselves into family, but really, Really, success is for me personally, right? Success is really born out of the experience of embracing the moment, right? So what is this moment teaching me? What have all these struggles prepared me to do, right? And what is the greater purpose? So that's where kind of the live, learn, and teach came from. Because for me, it's like life is a lifelong journey. I used to be married to this idea that you pick one thing and you stick with it, right? And once you're done with school, you're done learning. And we all know that that's not the case, right? Every day there's something to learn, there's something to gain, especially in the space of DEI and wanting to be more inclusive. Um, the dance piece of the model is I love to dance, hence the competitive karaoke. And I feel like when we think about the workspace and we feel like empowering folks to bring their authentic selves to work how do we tap in some of the passions and the drivers and the motivators and a lot of times it's not based on your professional experience it's all the other things you bring to the table right and so um, that's where the dance piece i'm one of those that i dance like no one is watching you know i incorporate music into everything that i do and essentially it helps me be a better person it also helps me be a better professional by being able to bring some of my other passions um to the workplace and then going back to the teach and pay it forward i think it is very important that as we navigate the journey of life and as we continue to learn on what to do and what not to do, it is incredibly important to pass that on to those that are coming up or even those that might be in the same situation. Whereas for me, it was pivoting um, and really in a helping folks understand that it's okay to want to pivot. It's okay when things are not working out the way that you want them to work out. And here's how I did it. And maybe I can be, you know, of inspiration to you. So I am a mentor to, you know, three amazing young ladies that grew up very similarly to me, women of color from, you know, South Los Angeles, East Los Angeles. And it's really important to me that my legacy um, is not so much in what I accomplish in, form, in the form of accolades and how much money I make, but it really is um, about who I brought along and, you know, the more coming from the community that I came from where mentorship is very necessary and we don't always have mentors that look like us, right? Um, thinking about where I work, where financial literacy is 
definitely missing and it's very important as we think about building generational wealth and creating equitable financial spaces etc that you know we all commit in some way shape or form to paying that forward so that we can create a better future for those that look like us that are coming up so awesome love it and you know i i think i want to i want to touch on a few things that you just mentioned and you know the first one is you know the pivot that you took you know going into a biotech space and and then going completely in a different direction with you know yeah. dei and kind of that space you know there is a lot of conversation right now about that exact topic like the folks that are turning to let's look at this space let's see what else we can do and you know so was that challenging for you was it it sounds like obviously you did take a lot of time to think about it and figure out if this is really the, the right path but what were the challenges for you in and shifting yeah great question so um yes it was very challenging because when i decided to make the pivot it actually wasn't DEI, it was corporate social responsibility. And what I didn't realize at the time is how I define culture, uh, corporate social responsibility is actually culture and inclusion and engagement, right? So um, as I, and so take a step back and to provide more detail, when I decided to make the pivot, I decided to pursue my MBA full-time. So I left the working world. It was the best two years of my life uh, and fully immersed myself in a MBA program. And going into the program, again, I was pursuing corporate social responsibility and via an opportunity to spend a summer at a company as a summer associate associate, I um, fell into the world of L&D and DEI. And um, originally it was L&D. It was an L&D specific role. However, when I stepped into the role, I quickly identified the inequities and the gaps, right, of how organizations even approach learning and development. Some organizations tend to approach learning and development in this one size fits all approach, right? How to give feedback, how to advocate for yourself, how to communicate. And um, what I noticed is that many, and still till this day, many forget about the nuances, right? And the impact that cultural upbringing has on how we communicate, how we advocate, how we give feedback. And when we have these organizations that have a very fixed definition of what that looks like from a success, you know, what success looks like, um, it's not a coincidence or it's not a surprise that we still see so many get left behind in that right and so what i started to do is i started to kind of weave in and embed um the dei lens in learning of sure we can say that here at x company we want folks to be loud we want folks to disrupt we want folks to you know advocate for themselves and, and raise their hand for a promotion but when i think about myself and my personal experience i'm of caribbean descent i should have added that um, in my intro and i grew up in a culture where you're seen and not heard so what do you mean challenge authority what do you mean give feedback like that is foreign to me and it's as someone as seasoned as i am it's still uncomfortable for me to have to to navigate those conversations and advocate um, for myself. So the challenge arises for me kind of in the beginning of how do I get managers to really understand and embrace that cultural bringing impacts us in the workplace so how do we of course use these frameworks that are great but also speak to the nuances of who is on our team without tokenizing without doing the extreme of creating these like specific tailored programs that often also um miss the mark so what i quickly did in my career is i decided that i was going to approach this work through the lens of allyship and through the lens of empowerment right so on one side of the coin i'm empowering folks that maybe naturally can't operate um the way organizations tend to reward people right and coaching and mentoring and developing that group of folks to kind of meet in the middle and then also working with leaders and hiring managers and decision makers to also understand that these nuances exist right and so how do you thoughtfully and strategically ensure that as we build more frameworks as we build more programs as we build um you know more policies and initiatives that we're kind of both meeting each other in the middle so that we can of course hold folks accountable but we can also uh, incorporate the nuances that cultural upbringing um, often brings. 
I, I think that is brilliant. And, and I want to, I want to emphasize what I heard you say, because I think this is something that often gets missed. A lot of times it's, oh, we need to coach and teach folks that are in that underrepresented group or in that marginalized group to right. basically assimilate versus right. let's teach the leaders how to actually be able to function with people that are different. And that could be any number of differences, you know, like, you know, you just mentioned folks that are very outgoing and very gregarious. Right. And if you have someone that's introverted or quieter, how do you lead them? You know, any number of things. So I love the approach of kind of hitting it both ways because I, I one of the things when I first got started in this work, I would get very frustrated by the, well, we need to teach women, women of color, right. how to take up more space in a room and how right. to you know, have their voice and all these things. And I'm like, cool, but we can't and they can't because right. it will be shot down and it will be their problem employee or they're too loud or they're too much. Right. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you're taking that approach. Yeah, definitely. And, and to piggyback off what you said, it's interesting because folks will always say that, right? Well, we need to teach the how, but it's like, well, have you taught yourself on how to receive, right? Mm -hmm. Because in one spirit, you're saying that you want folks to be louder and bring the bold ideas and challenge, but I'm watching and I'm seeing, you know, sometimes not even um, overtly, but very covertly, mm -hmm. how you're responding and reacting when you have an expectation of someone to operate in a specific manner and they're doing everything you told them to do or they're doing everything that they're observing you do and it's off-putting for you right so that has essentially been you know the bread and butter of my work and as you can imagine it has come with this challenges of you know striking that healthy balance um and ensuring that you know folks on this side aka leaders managers and decision makers are kind to themselves and understand that there is no a plus there is no study guide there will be missteps and really the learning is the feedback and receiving the feedback and pledging to do better and on the other side it's stepping up challenging yourself but also giving a little bit of grace on what your manager or your leader may not know and being comfortable giving that feedback and again creating that healthy balance and still haven't completely figured it out but we're on the journey um to get there. <laughs> yeah it's it's interesting because you know we and i think a lot of folks in this space are having the conversation around intent versus impact right and you know and i think that's something that folks maybe are not as familiar with and so you know i think what you're sharing is exactly that that you know you want to say yes positive intent this is what they right. meant or this is what they were trying to say but also knowing that there's going to be missteps and that impact that it has on whoever is the focus or whoever it's you know whoever's receiving that right. can be damaging and can be traumatizing and it's that you know ongoing stuff so i uh, thank you thank you for for taking that on and you know making that a priority to kind of teach both sides to that because it, it is critical um absolutely I, I would love to hear a little bit about you know just the the way that you approach and especially in a place like nerd wallet so i uh, you know and i'm making some assumptions here so please clarify if i'm, I'm wrong but sure you know financial knowledge i think is something that they're not teaching in school the way that we would hope that they would right. um, but i i i think it's even more of an issue for folks that are in uh underserved communities and in underserved schools um and so would love to hear kind of the approach as you think about dni and obviously csr is a huge piece of that you know like how do you think about that corporate social responsibility and the actual like what nerd wallet does for a living and what you know what their product is great question so um i i want to add the caveat that i have been at nerd wallet a little over three months right so i'm still learning <laughs> and, and still ramping up however i can i can answer that question from from both lenses from leading this work here and what i've seen so far and also as a consumer right like i was a consumer of nerd wallet well before um you know i i was blessed with this opportunity and so um the responsibility and the commitment that i a have seen the company take and i also think the company should continue to take is really again embedding dei in everything that we do both from the internal perspective right so ensuring that we have the right perspective on the team that can speak to our community right 
So having diverse voices that write our content, that think about our business development, think about our product, um, again, to ensure that we are representative of the community that we serve. And then taking that a step further from a CR, CSR perspective, which is, you know, continuing to support external initiatives, and NerdWall does a great job at this, of supporting external initiatives that are focused on reducing the, what I call the financial litter gap. Um, and um, something that I would love to focus on this year with our employee resource groups is really thinking about how can we continue to teach right through the lens of our community because we are not the um, end all be all when it comes to the communities that we represent, right? And we're not 100% representative because there's a lot of nuances within community, but we have a general idea, right, of where the gaps are. And so how do we um, continue to support the organization in finding those opportunities to teach and finding those opportunities to um, speak to the nuances, right? I think about credit cards, you know, something personally for me is I um, have always been very responsible with my money, um, but I really realize that financial responsibility for me was just saving for a rainy day, right? I never had the conversation around growing your money. Mm -hmm. And so I, for the longest time, had a credit card that didn't generate any points. And um, when I started to really think about, okay, how do I grow my money? How do I expand, you know, the little wealth that I have? Um, Nerd Wallet was one of the first places I went to for an article, and they wrote an article around points and how do you essentially leverage your credit card to make money so make money while you're spending money and it was such a foreign concept for me because i grew up in a household where i my mom just started using her credit card and i grew up in a household where it was like cash only debit card only do not use a credit card all debt is bad and so those are the things that i had to essentially unlearn and luckily i had you know a resource like nerd wallet that showed me the how but i think the gap that exists is even driving folks to seek out that information right if you grow up in a household where you're told debt is bad don't use credit cards use cash only you're not going to know to go to, for example, Nerd Wallet to then look up what credit cards to get, right? So really figuring out those touch points to find the gaps of even leading folks to what we offer and leading folks to, you know, the, the empowerment and the financial resources. Hopefully that makes sense, but that's yeah. just where my head is at. No, absolutely. And it's reminding me of someone. So I, you probably know the the budget Nista. Um, so Tiffany. Yes, I love her. Yeah. And, and, and 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 I I loved her book. I love everything she has done. And I think it's been so interesting because it's opened my eyes, obviously just a learning for my own personal self. Same thing that you're talking about of like, how do you actually make your, you know, have your money make more money, right. um, points, things like that, you know, just thinking about that type of stuff, but also just very down to earth. And I think the the more we can make these conversations just a part of our everyday existence. And you know, mm -hmm. and it reminds me of, you know, you don't, when at the dinner table, you don't talk about money, religion, or sex, you know, right. those things. And so for so many of us, we didn't learn from our parents other than we, what we observed of, oh, they don't use credit cards. They only pay in cash. Right. They think this is bad. And how do you actually learn? Well, I, I need to have this to establish credit to, you know, all of, right. all of the pieces that come into play. So she's one that I, I, I do follow and, and really appreciate all of her insights. So I think they're great. Yeah, 100%, 100% agree. And so what we would like to do as a company is essentially find ways to lead people to those resources, right? And it's like, you don't know what you don't know. So how do we very thoughtfully and intentionally share with people what they don't know, right? So demystifying some of the things that we learned um, growing up. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. Yeah, there was a, a show on Netflix and I, I, I think she actually was one of the people on it. And it was about like, uh, you know, creating generational wealth and, and, mm -hmm. and just, again, these conversations that folks aren't having or don't know to have. 
and not just within, you know, marginalized communities, but just across the board that we aren't right. taught. I mean, I remember back in high school, and this is going to age me slightly, it's you had to balance your checkbook. Yeah. And that was like what they taught you. And that was the most important thing. And you think about that now and you're like, I can just go online and look at my account and see what's <laughs> going on and see where, and it categorizes everything for right. me and tells me, hey, stop spending money on Uber Eats because right. it's ridiculous, you know? <laughs> for me, it's DoorDash, girl, so I hear I understand. You. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I, I want to shift a little bit because, you know, one of the things, uh, you know, about, you know, this inclusive company culture mm -hmm. is, you know, and we've seen this very recently come up with some of the layoffs that have occurred that mm -hmm. DEI folks have been impacted. Mm -hmm. And that DEI has been, you know, kind of put on the back burner. And I don't know if you've saw any of the stuff with the SB, SVB fallout. Oh, yeah. There's comments now about, oh, it's because they were focused on diversity and woke culture, which is the most ridiculous thing. But I would love to know kind of the, how do you think about not making it a check the box, you know, yeah. activity to really make it real and a part of your culture? Yeah, great question. And this is something I think about all the time. And it's interesting that you brought up, you know, SVB um, and that fallout. I did not see the article, anything around the blame on DEI, which I think is ridiculous. And I, after this, I will definitely go um, and look that up because I think that's the furthest from the make you slightly angry, but it's also good to know because right. I like someone there's been a lot of now responses to it on linkedin of like this might be the dumbest thing i've ever seen <laughs> right right like we're going to correlate people pulling their money out to you know woke culture and di great wonderful, somehow, wonderful yeah, somehow yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyhow sorry no no all good all good um so how i think about this and again i think about this a lot is um if we are going to move from what i call reactive to proactive right mm -hmm. it is really important to embed it um within every facet of the organization and not look at it as just a siloed internal strategy right or an internal program which is why for me when i see organizations um have a program manager as an example running dei as opposed to somebody that's embedded into leadership so i mean senior manager plus I always go, hmm, I'm looking at the scope of what this person does. And it it can be easy when times get hard to dispose of this role because you're viewing it as a program as opposed to a, a necessary strategic entity to your business. Not in not only in how you keep your employees engaged, but also how you drive your business forward. Because again, most businesses serve a global community or a diverse community. And you want to make sure that you have the right perspectives to speak um, to that audience. So what I love to compare it to is finance, right? Every organization has a finance arm, a finance owner, a finance vertical. Um, of course, every team member, every group, every department owns their budget and they own a component of finance, right? But there's still a team that drives those initiatives. And so I look at DEI in the exact same way, right? It's like you may have a team that drives DEI, but if we're really going to ensure that we're creating equitable and inclusive workspaces, everyone needs to take ownership. And we have to think about everything we do through the lens of DEI. So how um, I've seen it done in the past and how we currently do it, you know, at Nerd Wallet is we embed it in how are we evaluating performance, right? How are we compensating people? How are we diversifying our content to speak to different audiences, right? And how are we really thinking about the long-term success of the business through the lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion? And in a recent conversation, someone asked me, um, you know, how do I feel about a the deprioritization of DEI, and also how do I feel about the weaponization? of the terms diversity, equity, inclusion, AKA what they're calling woke culture. Um, and I often, when I see content or I hear people speak or I hear you know, even some politicians like build their platforms on this sentiment or these notions, I often wanna ask, and obviously I can't ask everyone this question, is how are you defining diversity, equity, and inclusion? Because in its purest form, it just means that we're creating a diverse workplace, again, that can speak to the audience that we serve. We are focusing on ensuring that everyone that works at our organization feels inclusive, feels like you know they have what they need to succeed and arguably that applies to everyone right so why wouldn't you want to focus on that why wouldn't you want to have that in your organization and so 
um, to add a little bit more to your question, I think folks really need to start shifting their mindset, right? Of DEI should not just be an initiative. It should not just be a program. It really should be a necessary in an organization because again, arguably you want everyone that works for you to feel included, right? So it, it becomes a more of a why why wouldn't we have this as opposed to do we need this? You know, so the question needs to be why wouldn't we have this or why don't we have this as opposed to like, oh, things, you know, financially we're not doing well. Should we cut this? It's like, no, that should be non-negotiable, right? Because even if you have 50 people left, you want all 50 of those people to feel a sense of inclusion. And that's on all of us to create that. So. Absolutely. I, I love that. And, you know, I think that's one of the one of the biggest pieces that I, I'm seeing with some of these changes and some of these layoffs is that, yeah, it is a, and I, I feel the exact same way. It needs to be woven into everything you do. Um, but I think that's also how you break down some of the systemic issues that we know are happening Right. to think about it from this inclusive mindset. And yeah, everyone's included that that isn't a, so this now means white males aren't included. Absolutely right. not. You know, like, you're also a part of this conversation and you also need to to understand kind of and and I won't even go with the you know the privilege that they have or anything like that but just you have to understand how the 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 world works how the US works especially right. um around these things and to deny that it, it cracks me up when people are like oh well culture and you're like so you're saying not being informed is better than being informed like that's I, you're saying you want to go to sleep all day every day yeah, sure yeah it's, <laughs> yeah yeah anyhow um so uh how do you think about that and you know think about embedding dei into every piece of the culture you know i know you just gave an example of like finance but how else like what are the things that you would want folks to think about or, or consider yeah so um great question so for me it's i always say hire and manage through the lens of the perspective gap right so being able to identify what are the perspective gaps on the team what are the perspectives missing um again because most all organization want to be successful right and um having an mba um the one thing that i embed in how i approach this work is the business right being able to speak to the business being able to drive the business forward because you and i know that investing in diversity equity inclusion is the right thing to do right but in order to bring everyone on board similar to other functions within an organization you also have to speak through the lens of the business right um and so what i as i i coach as well so when i'm coaching leaders around how do we effectively embed this into overall strategy and you know within the organization is again thinking about the business and what are the business objectives and what are the perspectives missing on the team to speak to those business objectives i also love to use case studies so i'm always throwing out examples of where organizations have fallen short right by thinking that having a team that is very homogenous regardless of how you slice that can speak to a global audience right and how almost all of the missteps that we have seen and i won't name them could have been prevented if they had specific groups in the room that would have said hey you might want to switch the shirts on the two little boys that we're going to feature in this campaign right um and things of, and of that nature so really starting with um let's think about the business let's think about our core audience and let's think about what are the perspective gaps missing to enable our success to um said audience i then take it a step further katie and i um am very big on meeting people where they are and helping people understand that if we're limiting how we're defining this work to specific groups of people we're really running the risk of not embracing that inclusion like i just mentioned like we just mentioned applies to everyone right so um i lead a series um it's an inclusion series where it's all about normalizing inclusion in the workplace and helping folks really identify personally with the space right so one that i've led at a previous company was around um how do we normalize inclusion in the workplace by demystifying the archetype right it was a very specific and unique company where the talent was 
very specific, so they said, right? And there was a lot of bias towards where to recruit from, who to recruit, that not only skewed one way from a racial and gender perspective, but it also skewed um, a particular way in terms of tech versus non-tech, um, traditional versus non-traditional, which incorporates the 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 major the majority, right? The group that was, you know, pretty much centered and was the majority. And so by helping them understand that if we are not um identifying what we perceive as good and then working to unpack that and demystify that here are all the people that get left behind, and that includes you too, mm -hmm. right? And so um if we're truly, and how I think about this, if we're truly going to embed it in every facet of the organization, we have to start from like the, the ground up of really helping folks identify with the work, understand ways that they could potentially be othered and they could potentially be left behind in and in, in not in the way that we hear it, like, oh, replacement theory and all these things, right? But in a way of like, why then should I be invested to embed it in everything that I do? Because here are all the perspectives that I'm missing and here are all the ways that I could be more successful if I enable these perspectives, as opposed to what we're seeing now where it's like, it's mutually exclusive, right? If I am focused on hiring more people of color, that means that, you know, people that don't identify as a person of color are going to get left behind, right? And it's like, no, it's mutually inclusive. As we focus on hiring more people of color, not only are we better as an organization because people of color make up a good chunk of the world, um, but we are also learning. We're also um, identifying gaps in the system that we don't realize if we're not, I'm a person of color, but by we, I mean, you know, folks mm -hmm. that are not a person of color, um, are missing out on, right? And there are so... Anyways, very long-winded answer to essentially how I think about this space and how I approach the work is foundational empathy. What are the business drivers? And then what are the perspective gaps missing? And how do we fill those perspective gaps? Love it. And I, I want to go back to the the kind of company strategy and you know that piece because I think this is I, I I'm actually in the the job search myself right now. And one of the questions I've been asking folks is how is DEI woven into your corporate strategy? Mm -hmm. And and if they're like, you know, look at me puzzled or like, what are you talking about? That's obviously a very good indicator of kind of where they're at, right. which is okay. Because again, right. you know, part of this is learning and growing, but it is also 2023. So there should be some thought about it. Right. Uh, and so I, I, I would love for you to talk a little bit more about just the the actual, you know, making this a strategic part of the business. Mm -hmm. And you've touched on it a little bit before, but would love to know any, you know, any additional thoughts you have on that, because I, I think it's such a critical piece to the puzzle. Yeah, great question. Um, number one, leadership buy-in, right? And buy-in all the way at the top to not only want to create space, for DEI, but to also hold themselves and the rest of the organization accountable to driving the work forward, right? And so um, where I have seen this done, but I shouldn't say where, how I have seen this done best is when um, this function has a seat at the table, like all core functions, right? And from uh, overall company priority standpoint, overall company OKRs and overall company business objectives, right? Incorporate some facet of, you know, what we call DEI, but I just like to say inclusive and equitable practices. And so looking at it at all levers of internal engagement, looking at it from a product standpoint, looking at it from a, a, um, a revenue standpoint, right? And looking at it from a CSR standpoint is really the, the way that it will fully be embedded and it becomes a very successful strategic focus because it shifts the ownership from a central capacity, right? To more of a co-opted um, initiative. And so, um, shout out to again, NerdWallet, um, something that we focus on here is um, creating equitable workspaces. And that initiative is very cross-functional, right? Where we have leaders from all facets of the organization really look at their vertical and think about, you know, what are our overall pillars as a company? And we have an ESG report for anyone that is um, curious where we go into a little bit more detail um, around, you know, again, the approach. Um, but well, coming into this company, again, being so new, it is very refreshing and rewarding to see, right, how we've been able to get to where we are now as a company 
me was because it's more of a co-opted strategy as opposed to a centralized strategy where, again, folks across the organization look at it from a CSR perspective, look at it from a supplier diversity perspective, look at it from a recruiting perspective, look at it from a marketing perspective to ensure that, again, central DEI, aka myself and my team, um, you know, help with the the coaching and the guiding and the the setting of overall strategy, but when it comes to implementation and execution and the embedding, we have an all hands on deck approach where we have multiple leaders and multiple stakeholders taking this um, as their own. I love it. Uh, do you have thoughts on where DEI should report into? Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out. Mm. (laughs) Such a good question. Um, Oh, such a good question because I I personally personally. Um, have had it sit in in many different places. So let me think um, which one do I feel like was the most successful? Um, if I am being honest about this, I don't think it matters, right? Because again, I don't think that it should ever be siloed, nor do I think that because it sits in a very specific space, place, vertical department, however you want to, you know, define it or call it, um, that that should change the approach, right? That should change how people view it, right? I've seen it sit under a CEO and report directly into a CEO, and I've seen the pros and cons of that. And I've also seen it sit in uh, HR capacity reporting to a CHRO or a chief people officer. And I see the pros and cons um, of that. Um, and I don't necessarily think that having it sit, I know some people advocate for it to actually sit under a CEO um, um, as a way of making it more important or signaling that it's more important to an organization. I don't necessarily think that makes it better. If anything, I've actually seen more cons with that approach. Um So what I will say is, again, it shouldn't matter, right? I don't think it should matter where it sits. I think just having a commitment to creating a diverse, equitable, and inclusive environment and fostering that sense of belonging really should be enough to drive folks to own that commitment. Now, what I will add, though, um, in terms of where it should report into is regardless of who the DEI team reports into, I do think the more leadership um, accountability and the more of a a leadership voice that we hear definitely enables success. And I've been fortunate enough to work for an organization where even though um, I sat with human resources, the CEO was very invested um, in the space and treated me like an additional direct report, right? And proactively asked to spend time with me monthly and get a download of where are we headed? How are things going? What he can do to support? And that paid dividends versus when I um, worked for an organization where I didn't report into the more central DNI actually was more siloed into a specific function, um, but the organization had a central DNI team and I didn't necessarily see a marginal difference in ownership, right? Where I saw the ownership was when we saw specific leaders really champion the work. So, and I think that goes to, uh, you, you mentioned that was a great that. question. <laughs> <laughs> I actually never thought about that. That was a great question. Well, I, and the reason why I asked, we actually, we had a guest on a, a few weeks ago and, and uh, Jackie and I would, were passing back this article and it was actually a group that they had HR report into the diversity team. Mm. Which I was like, now that is very, very interesting because then you actually get to see how policies, processes, procedures change Mm -hmm. when you have that very distinct lens on it. That is very interesting. Yeah. But to your point, if you have that credibility, if you have those relationships, you can still drive that work. And so I think that's the other piece is that, uh, you know, for so many folks, and, you know, this is something that I'm sure, you know, Aubrey Blanche, she talks about quite a bit is the 
it doesn't matter if you are the DEI person, what mm -hmm. is your role in this work? Right. And I, I think that's something that we just need to continue to talk about is how are you as a frontline leader? How are you as an individual contributor? How are you, you know, getting involved with your ERG or whatever it might be? Right. And so I the the next question or the next kind of what I would love to know is for NerdWallet, do they have executive sponsors for your ERGs or is it one, you know, everyone, you know, kind of everyone reports into the CEO? How does that work? Great question. So yes, all of our ERGs have executive sponsors. Um, our executive sponsors do report into um, our CEO and ultimately our executive sponsors are great brokers and advocates for our ERGs around providing coaching, providing guidance, but also removing blockers. You know, what I've seen so far is we have ERGs that may have used up most of their budget and they are very comfortable going to their executive sponsor and saying, hey, we want to do a talk. Here's the impact. Um, you know, can you support? And I've seen our executive sponsor step in and say, let me know. And they'll reach out to me or partner with me and say, let me know how I can support, how I can help. If you want me to proactively be an advocate and go to our finance team, I'm happy to do so. So we have a very engaged um, executive sponsor ship team um and it also helps that they report you know they're at the highest level within the organization because they also support in cascading down the efforts of our employee resource groups to ensure that even if folks don't aren't a part of an employee resource group or don't happen to identify as you know uh the community that the employee resource group serves they still feel um the desire and un understand the expectations to still participate so Awesome. And you just mentioned something else that I, I think we, I would say, I don't like to use the word harp on, but we do, uh, you know, talk about quite a bit as budgets, mm -hmm. budgets for this work and actually making sure that there's some financial um, momentum behind the work. Because I, I think so many of us in this space, we, we figured out how to find free or cheap or whatever stuff. Right. But it's also how do we how do we actually put our the money where our mouth is and you know make sure our ERG leaders are getting what they need and getting compensated for that kind of off the clock work right. all of those things and i'm glad to hear that you guys are are focused on that and that is something that is important to you um so i would love to to chat with you for another three to four hours and we definitely yeah. need to do this again with Jackie. Um, <laughs> I would love to just kind of end this episode by asking you, you know, what are one or two things? What are what are the we really hope you hear this or, or what are the things that you would like to pass along to folks that are listening? Yeah, great, great question. Um, so what I would love to share with folks that are listening is things are changing right now. Right. And I'm fortunate to work for an organization that is very committed to this space and again, embedding this work in everything that we do. However, the reality is there is a lot of departization happening. There is a lot of weaponization happening. There are a lot of conversations around erasure and all the things where, quite frankly, sometimes it feels like, are we going backwards in time? Like, am I in a time machine? Because I'm really confused on what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when folks ask, like, you know, well, what do I do when I've work for an organization that deprioritized the team, right? Or what do I do when I live in a state where, you know, as a teacher, I can't talk about certain things or I can't teach in the way that I want to, et cetera. And what I always share is, and then what I'll leave the audience is, focus on the micro, right? Regardless of what's happening at the macro, when we think about creating an inclusive and equitable environment, it starts with us, right? So even if I work for an organization that for whatever reason has made the decision to deprioritize, not just DEI, right? Because learning and development, you know, mm -hmm. we've seen have, has been deprioritized, a lot of facets of culture and engagement and all the things that make, you know, workplaces great have been deprioritized what can i do as an individual and it's like you can still advocate for somebody mm -hmm. you can still source diverse talent right without an overarching team you can still speak up and say hey katie had a really great idea in this meeting and i noticed that she's been fighting to share her idea and no one's paying attention right and so really thinking about what are the small things that i can do as an individual every day that in turn creates an inclusive and equitable environment regardless of what's happening in in the macro 
space. And so challenging everyone listening and continuing to challenge myself to find those touch points of like, how can I as an individual, regardless of funding, budget, whatever that looks like, create space for others to feel heard, to feel seen, and to do their best work. So that's what I'll leave everyone with. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, you know, and for me, I think the the pieces that really resonated with, I mean, everything that you shared was amazing. And I appreciate you taking the time. I, I, I think it's good. And I love that you are really thinking about the product of NerdWallet and how that actually impacts individuals and how you can broaden your customer base and, and truly make it a business priority. Because I think right. that's something that sometimes it's hard to think about that when you're in the trenches trying to just make sure your people are okay. Right. But thinking about the product itself and making sure that you're being thoughtful about who are you serving right. and 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 who's not in the room to talk or give an opinion or share. Yeah, that's not the right shirt for that person to wear the other person right. needs, or whatever it might be. Or do right. not do not actually make this a product of ours because it is not okay. Right. Um, so I think that for me is is what it, you know really came through, and I hope that everyone heard. And you know, uh, again, thank you so much for being with us. And thank I'll just I, one additional thing that I'll share with our listeners, and hopefully you all are paying attention to all of the absolutely ridiculous bills and legislation and conversations that are happening about anti-trans uh, education and right. you know health services, all of these different things, gender affirming care. And please speak to your representatives, please right. call them, please write them, please knock on their door and let them know this is not okay. Um, we, are, we need to create safe spaces for our kids and for everyone. Absolutely. We know that women of color that are trans are basically right now being hunted and right. we need right. to save lives right. and this legislation will not do that. And so we need to just pay attention to what's going on. 100%. And I'll add to that. Um, we are each other's business, right? So even mm -hmm. if you think or feel like what's happening doesn't impact you, doesn't mean that it can't and it won't later on in the future. And you have to remember that um, folks that go after a specific group, you might be next on the list, right? And if we can step up and advocate for those groups, right? Not only do we support as allies of those groups, we also in turn ensure that it doesn't happen to anyone else. So I will add that. Awesome. Thank you. I truly oh, appreciate you. you taking the time. This has been phenomenal. And, uh, you know, it's been great. Thank will, you so much. Yeah, we will share this out with our guests or with our listeners. And we appreciate you being a guest on the Inclusive AF podcast. This is Katie Van Horn. And we'll talk to you all soon. Bye. Have a good one, everyone. Bye. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.